everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it's a special holiday weekend. I'm glad you safely returned from the PGA Championship because from the pictures you sent me, you had an unlikely playing partner join your pairing. What, the alligator? <laughs> my, I'm going to say it as like subtle as I can. How's that? My four-year-old kept asking, is Jeff's friend playing golf with him? And I said, I don't think that that's Jeff's friend. <laughs> I, I, you know, it is, it is troubling when all of a sudden you're about to tee off and you see an alligator walking across in front but but that one was at least far down and he was in the fairway so i had no chance of hitting the alligator being anywhere next to him because i can't hit the ball in the fairway the more trouble the more troubling part was was when was when we were watching the pga and i turned to my right and two feet away from me was about a seven to foot say a seven to eight foot alligator right there it wasn't in a pen or anything it was just lurking in the water right next to my feet. So is that the picture that you sent me uh, that I got on my cell phone that I kept showing my son all weekend because he said, Daddy, let me see Jeff's friend again? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the one. And I, I turned to my son and I said, you know what? We may want to find a different spot to watch the shot. That could be a good idea. Because we'll, uh... if an alligator can think, you got to think he's going, wait a second. There's like tens of thousands of people there's like food walking around constantly. I just can pick whichever one I want. He's looking at you going, there's no way he gets away. I saw him try out for the blue coats. <laughs> <laughs> While we wait and, for... and, and, and I'm like a week's worth of meals for him, huh? Right. While we wait yeah. for Keith Pompey to get connected with us and so that we can talk some basketball. Uh, let's talk, you know, you were at the Sixers game this week. You were at the PGA Championship. Let's talk atmospheres because the scene at the end of that golf tournament when Mickelson won was something that was unreal. What was it like to be out there? And then what was it like? To well, be I, I was just to be clear, I was not at the final round. Not on the not Saturday. On you were there Saturday, but Saturday but, he was still in the lead and there was a lot of excitement on the course, I would presume. There was a lot of excitement in the course because it was really the first major where there was that many people there. So it was, it was pretty cool to see that many people. I do have a problem, and, and Kepka was right to complain about what happened at the end of that round. You can't have people in the middle of a pandemic swarming around the golfers, no matter even if it was good, well-intentioned. But, you know, Phil Mickelson's been my favorite golfer forever, but that's because I'm a lefty. And, and so, uh-huh. you know, us lefties have to stick together, but watching but not him. He's 50, it's because he's a lefty. Yes. Well, t- tell me this, just just quickly. When you watch Phil Mickelson in, in a major, do you not think of Tin Cup like every time? Think that yeah, he's, like he's, he's just going to go for it. Yeah, yeah but no, but that he's going to go for it. And he's just, he's not going to lay up. He's going to pull out the driver when he can just use the three wood. That's why people watch to see if he blows up too. Yeah. Uh-huh. He he's going to go for it. Yeah. Uh, we'll bring on our guest. Uh, if you didn't get enough, if you don't get enough of Keith Pompey in this interview, you can catch he and Jeff on Keith Locked on Sixers podcast. We tweeted that out earlier from our account at the heart of sports on Twitter. Oh, I thought you were going to say if, if Keith hadn't got enough of me. Well, Keith, <laughs> I, I hear that Jeff told you he stopped keeping score at his golfing when I listened this morning to you guys. Yeah, that's what he said. I mean, but, you know, I, I can't get over that. He doesn't like Tiger Woods as, the, you know, he's going for number two as opposed to number one. 
You know what I mean? That's just like, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> Keith, I'm, I'm number two on this show. I'm number two on your podcast. Why wouldn't I root for number two? Actually, I'd like to take yeah, I guess you can. <laughs> I'd like consistent. to take issue with him saying he's number two on your podcast, Keith. Um, we got beef because every week on this show, Jeff says after the show, like, I had a really good point to make. I didn't make it on the air, but I thought I did now. He brought his A game this morning with you. Why do I feel like I get the B game when I when I get him on the show talking basketball? He brought some good I mean, stuff. I mean, you know, I'm serious. Like we really have to do it because we we always keep saying it, and then next thing you know, we don't we don't talk until we come on the show. So we do have to uh, do it for you know me and you get on there and and, and chop it up a little bit. I mean, that's because Jeff keeps as, your number you know, from me. He's afraid of uh-huh. that. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right? <laughs> hey, hey, you know what, Jeff? The problem is because. He's like in Hawaii relaxing and chilling I know. and doing all this other stuff. And then he comes back, hey, I come up with this on the podcast. Because uh, uh, yeah, exactly. He's, 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 he's the guy that, that Keith co-hosted The Heart of Sports and Jason decided he needed to call in from Hawaii to rub it in. Tell you what, you take one vacation in your life. They never uh, let you live it down, I swear. Mm-hmm. All right, Keith, let's talk, let's talk some basketball. You ready to head to D.C. for game three this weekend? I'm already here. Yep. Ah. So, yeah. Yeah. Tell us what's the feeling in DC? What's the feeling with the Washington team and the Sixers after, you know, going up to nothing last game, although it was close in the first half. We'll get to details of that kind of blot in the second half in the end. How's everybody feel about this series as it goes down there? Well, it's funny because you said it because it's like no one's talking about it. I mean, from, you know, the people that, you know, that I've, I've come in contact with. Like, it's funny, I, when I hopped in the Uber, the guy was like, hey, you, what are you here for? I was like, oh, I'm going to the game. He's like, oh, okay, all right. Mm. Yeah, like, it's <laughs> the only rain. one. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I mean, but again, you know, like, that was a short Uber ride. But, but at the same time, you know, it was one of those things where I guess it's the difference from, you know, your team being up 2-0 and your team being down 2-0. And, and you look at the Sixers and you saw that last performance. And you, you're hoping that your team doesn't get swept, you know? So I, I think it's just a completely different vibe. All right. Well, then let's talk a little bit about uh, the last two games where the vibe, I think, was much better in our building. Um, what did you see down there as not just the vibe, and we'll get to the, the dope at the end of the game if you want to, but let's talk about the vibe before that and, and how, it, how you see it as impacting the Sixers and their energy. You know what? I I I think that personally, I I look at it and and at first, you know, like like we talked about it earlier, you and I. It's it's one of those things where, you know, you get all caught up in and Ben Simmons, you know, scoring points, and that becomes the story, and and how Joel Embiid and and everyone else is, you know, dominated. But the thing is, I think that domination can come back to haunt the Sixers if they're not careful. And what I mean by that is. You're going on the road. You know, they're going to have 10,000 fans there. It's going to be their largest uh, crowd of the year, right? You're up 2-0. You know, you're, you're looking at it like, hey, we're going to crush this team. And, and you could get smacked in the mouth if you're not careful because when you look at it, they, they still have some weaknesses that, that has been shown. You look at it, you look at Bradley Bill, he's still averaging 33 points with 33 points a game um, against the Sixers. And he didn't play most of the fourth quarter this last game. So, you know, I want to see from the 76ers, I want to see how Burkheim Korkmaz 
how Shake Milton, how Tyrese Maxey, how these guys can produce because typically in the playoffs, the reserves and the role players play a whole lot better in front of the home crowd, right? So what that's telling me is that a guy like Davis Bertine, he's probably going to step up. You know, um, well, he can you know, play um, worse. Exactly, he can. But that's what I'm saying. So he can't play worse, but he's going to have the crowd. So I need to see what this bench is going to do. Now, again, the Sixers look good, but, you know, they still have some flaws. They still have to get some things corrected. And I think that they're the better team. But to me, game three is going to be pivotal to see exactly what Washington is going to do, the type of adjustments. And then also, something happened today, guys. Seth Curry didn't practice today. So is he going to be a, a, um, available to go tomorrow? So that's another question. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But you, you said that the, the backups play much better in front of the home crowd. The one backup who did not play better in front of the home crowd hasn't played well for a lot of this season. And kind of people are scratching their head with it is Shake Milton. Shake had some, some really good games last year. It was a good scorer was able to play the point at times, although I don't think he was ever going to be a full-time point guard. This year, he seems lost, and he seems like everything bothers him, even at home. What's going on with Shake? Uh, you know, I will say this about Shake. Early in the year, Shake was playing well. Like, he was, you know, a six-man-of-the-year candidate. Everyone was raving over him. You know, I, I think that it just seems like, you know, with Shake, you, you kind of – know what he's going to do. And what I mean by that, Shake gets in the game, he'll look guys off and they'll try to go in and get a bucket, right? Now, that's what teams are, are, are like waiting for him to do. And then, that, but he's always bringing, he's always going into traffic and he's getting stripped. The problem with Shake is, you know, he's a scorer, but and, and he's a combo guard, but they want him to handle the ball. And it just seems like he's a turnover waiting to happen because everyone knows that he's looking to score as opposed to passing. I also think that Shake maybe, you know, he probably won't come out and say it, but I think he's putting a little bit too much pressure on himself. When you look at it, a lot of his struggles have came after George Hill became part of the team. And then now you look at a guy like Tyrese Maxey, who's also coming in. So you look at it, they're like, okay, Shake, you know, we want you to handle the ball, but we also have George. And then when you mess up, Maxey is going to come in here and Jeff, you were at the game. They love Maxie in Philadelphia. So I think that we have a lot of different things. He's being figured out. I think he's putting too much pressure on himself. And but it's easy to put pressure on yourself when they have George Hill and they have Tyrese Maxie breathing down your neck. You know? Jeff, Jeff, come around on Maxie. He's in my camp now, right, Jeff? I have to tell you, if I had to rank the most popular players on the Sixers by fan reaction, it would be Embiid, Matisse, and Maxi. Yeah, interesting. You're, you're, yeah, you're right. You're right. Keith, you're you right. mentioned Seth Curry not practicing today. What is the concern level about his health, both for tomorrow and long term? And then should he not start, who does Doc go with in his place? Oh, that's when it gets tricky. Um, I, I think the concern is, uh, you know, we're talking about an ankle. Um, 
depending on how like severe it is, which I don't think it may not be. Well, uh, there there's some concern. Basically, I'm I'm trying to like sugarcoat it or overanalyze it. It has to be some concern. Now, I don't know the level of concern, but there is some concern just because, you know, here it is, you're in the playoffs, and you got a guy that's skimpy a little bit. Um, now, the good part for the Sixers is that they have an extra day, so he gets some more treatment, do some stuff around the clock. If he doesn't play, you will hope that he'll be able to go on Monday. Now, the tricky part is, like, who do you really want to bring in there to, 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 to start in this place? Because you have your bench rotation, right? You also want a shooter on the floor. Now, the thing is, you can say to yourself, okay, we're going to go with George Hill, right? But then that's going to mess up the bench, so to speak. You know, I, this might sound crazy, and the, my people may laugh at me, and Jeff may like, say, let's, let's go to a commercial break. But um, if, I, if I was trying to keep my bench intact, that rotation intact, I think I may start first-time court mods, right? but then give them a, a quick hook early and then keep the rotation going. You know what I mean? Now, Just because three, two, one for Jeff's head to explode, Keith. No, I, I, I thought you were actually going to go with Maxi since you have two other guys that are playing point guard and you don't know where Maxi fits into the rotation. If you want to keep that second line together, then why not move Maxi up and see if his energy and his ball handling allows the same type of dynamic to play out in game three that played out in game two, which is, Ben Simmons seemed to be playing center with Embiid playing power forward. The thing is, the thing about Maxi is um, the the reason I understand what you're saying as far as being a combo guard, and that's a good pick. I mean, good choice. But I'm looking for someone that come in and can just basically stretch the floor. Now, again, if you did go to that, if you had that adjustment, the adjustment that Sixers made in Game Two, I understand that wholeheartedly because you want somebody. To, to handle the ball and do things like that. But I'm also looking at it like two things. He's a rookie, as good as he's been playing, but he's a rookie playing on the road, playing in front of his largest road crowd, right, in a playoff atmosphere. And to me, I think you can look at it as a lot of, of pressure. Whereas where you have a guy like Seth, when Ben Simmons is there, yes, he does a little bit of – he does some ball handling, but his job is to stretch the floor. And, you know, when Furkan is one of those guys, when he's hot, he's hot. When he's not, he's not. You know, I'm just rolling the dice thinking that he's going to be, you know, hot on this game. And and if so, you know, then it could work out a little bit. But, you know, what you said is, is a good one. But I don't know if I just want – now, again, Maxi is a tough guy. You know, he doesn't back down. But to me, I'm just thinking – Bringing him, I mean, starting him as opposed to bringing him off the bench might be a tough ask, you know, for a guy playing his first road playoff game. You're somebody who um, has written about Tobias Harris a lot, his his family as well. I've enjoyed reading it. Talk about sort of the redemption of Tobias Harris in this playoffs after his struggles last year. Uh, he, he is a reliable option. Not only that, he's looking to create his shots. Seems like every time down the court. What are you seeing out of him? Because he's been fun to watch as a fan. You know, I, I'm seeing a guy that's basically playing basketball. <laughs> like, and, and it's weird because, you know, he's and, and it sounds easy to say, but what I mean by that is he's being put in the situations that he normally excels at. You know, like last year he was struggling, and you get a little frustrated 
but you're frustrated because you're struggling, but you're also frustrated because you're struggling because you know you're not you're not being put in the right situation. You're like over in the corner and then like they may tell you drive like late in the shot clock or you're rushing shots because you know you're not going to get the ball back. So I think that right now, you know, Doc Rivers is utilizing, um, you know, his uh, best asset, and that's helping him out a lot. Now, the thing is, if you're him, you have to feel good because you're, you're saying, like, you know what, all these people thought I was a scrub. Like, they thought I was, like, overpaid. They thought this. They thought that. And now those same people are the ones going on, like, ESPN and saying this, how great Tobias Harris is. Now, you know, so he has to be happy. Now, here's the one thing that I will say about Tobias and all the Sixers, and it's not a knock against them. When you look at the Washington Wizards, we expect the Sixers to dominate them. Like Washington was 38, I mean, 34 and 38. You know, they had to win a bunch of games just to get into the playing game. The Sixers have the best record in the East. So we're praising all these guys right now, but I think that to, for Tobias to basically so, solidify his place with this team to prove his doubters wrong, is the Sixers are going to have to get to the Eastern Conference Championship, and he is going to have to produce these numbers against the Brooklyn Nets or Milwaukee Bucks. It's not the same fans and the same um, analysts who are praising them. What they're going to do is they're going to say, see, the Sixers, they just went up against Washington. That's nobody. What did they do against uh, Brooklyn? So that's when we're really going to be able to say, hey, Tobias, you really did it, man. You really you really improved. So basically you want to make sure that he plays well enough that don't people on social media don't call him trash. Yeah, I know, right? They can't call him trash yeah. like trash like right. my phone. <laughs> Yeah. So, I, so, I used so, trash so, the other night, Keith, and Jeff said that I was trying to like cop off, copy off you. So I sent him a message. I'm like, "This trash." He's like, "What are you talking to, Keith?" Yeah. So Keith, we got we got a minute left, but I, for everybody who's listening, I got to tell you, if you're not following Keith on social media, you're totally missing one of the best people to follow. And one of the things that you are con you use the word very liberally as far as <laughs> what's trash. And we thought, what better way to start the holiday weekend? than Keith telling us about what he considers trash of the week. Now, and uh, the trash of the week is two of them, and this is an easy one. I think the popcorn dude was trash, right? <laughs> that was trash for, for the Sixers. I mean, like, dude. And, and the dude who wait. spit on Trey. He was trash, Yeah, too. yeah, the dude, who, the, the dude who spit on Trey. I, I, that was worse. Now, here's the thing. Like, the popcorn situation, I get it, is bad. But at the end of the day, it's popcorn, right? It's popcorn. Like, you know, and when I look at that, like the video, expensive they keep showing popcorn. it on sports and on, 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 yeah, fact, yeah, like he's an idiot, right? You know what I mean? Like, come on. So, but, but here's the thing, spitting on someone, like, dude, he had to like spit over top of people to get it, to get them. So you're like spraying everyone, you know what I mean? So, like, in, the, in the middle of a huh? pandemic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, yeah, and, uh... and then like Trey, Trey doesn't want to press charges, but. Everyone around him is like, dude, you need to press charges. You need to press charges. And like in the middle of a pan pandemic, it was that was that was horrible, man. That that was trash. <laughs> All right, Keith. I'm gonna make sure that Jeff gets me your number now. And we're gonna set up a time where we can come on. And this way Jeff will bring his A game when I'm around one day. So I by the way, I also made sure to enter your code and bought a little bit of the product you're you're selling there with the built bar. So I'm on that for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. All right, look. 
if and if this is like a date I'm setting you two up on, you know, make sure Keith likes flowers and chocolates. Don't so, be jealous that I'm yeah. moving on your man, Jeff. All right. Keith, enjoy DC. Go Sixers. We'll uh, follow <laughs> Pompey on Sixers, locked on Sixers. Have a good one, Keith. All right, fellas. And thanks, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Always a blast. Jeff, always fun. Uh, I do recommend people listen to the Locked on Sixers podcast. Jeff was on this morning. I made joke about it, but uh, they, there were really some good insight on uh, what you guys were talking about with Matisse. By Keith, by Keith not players. by me. No, you, I, by many. Yeah. You like, brought good comments. So I'm wondering where those are on the show. It's okay right. we'll get well, to it after we talk to Don, though. Yeah, why don't, why don't you get to somebody who's got a lot better insight on sports? So here's the thing, Jeff. The last thing that I thought we'd be talking about Memorial Day 2021 is the New yeah. England Patriots and Spygate from over a decade ago. And Arlen Specter. <laughs> but then host and executive producer ESPN's Backstory, Pulitzer Prize winning author, senior reporter. I could go on with the list. Don Vanetta does what he always does. Some amazing work. Don, thanks for giving us some time. For our listeners who aren't familiar with it yet, can you tell us a little bit about why Arlen Specter and Spygate are in the news again? Well, thanks, guys. We dropped a story this week that uh, really, I think, pulls the curtain back on one of the unsolved mysteries of the Spygate scandal. Uh, and that is there was an offer made to Senator Arlen Specter, who, if you guys remember, did a one-man investigation in the Senate of the Spygate, the Patriots Spygate uh, situation in 2008. It spooked the NFL. It really bothered Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots. And there was a single line in a memoir that uh, Specter wrote in 2012, where he said, it, somebody, a mutual friend of his and Robert Kraft told him, if you lay off the Patriots, there will be a lot of money for you in Palm Beach. That line uh, intrigued me for years and my co-author on the piece, Seth Wickersham. And finally, we were able to determine that that mutual friend of Spectre and Kraft who offered money uh, that some people thought was a bribe was none other than Donald Trump. And so we reported that this week for the first time. So that's the thing, Don. I mean, look, you're an investigative reporter. You have a great show and backstory. And if people haven't seen it yet, you've got to see it. They're, they are great stories. But but how does that kernel stick in your head and then you say, I'm going to go try to dig that down? Well, you know, in 2015, Wickersham and I did a piece about Deflategate. And we, we kind of tried to figure out why Roger Goodell and the NFL hammered Tom Brady with that four-game suspension over nothing more than a few deflated footballs. It seemed pretty much punitive and that there was something else going on. And we figured out then that it was there were a lot of NFL owners that felt as if the Spygate punishments were way too lenient. And in doing that story, we went back and looked at the Spectre investigation uh, and, and that line in that book uh, stuck with me and uh, and little by little over the years kept digging. I went to the University of Pittsburgh where Specter's papers are housed in the archives there, found all sorts of connections between Specter and Trump uh, that were fascinating. And then finally, we were able to get a couple of key people on the record, including Arlen Specter's son, Shannon, who is a Philadelphia lawyer, a high, highly regarded Philadelphia lawyer, who said his dad told him that, yes, it was Donald Trump who said he was acting on behalf of Robert Kraft, by the way, and offering campaign contributions if Spectre would drop that Spygate investigation. And so we laid it all out in a lengthy story that was posted this week on ESPN.com. 
And so obviously this was long before he was president in terms of when it happened, but people may ask, why would the NFL have somebody or Bob Kraft have a Donald Trump get involved? Can you talk about just how concerned the NFL was by Spectre's investigation? He wanted sort of a George Mitchell independent investigation, and they were worried about antitrust issues and other issues. And if, from what I read in your piece, Spectre was very uh, animated about why did you destroy the tapes? Why did you conduct the investigation that you did? Can you talk about that backstory that connects why a Donald Trump or Rob Kraft would try to reach out to even do that? Well, first of all, as you guys may know, Arlen Specter was a uh, Philadelphia district attorney. He was a lifelong Eagles fan. So he was a angry, pissed off Eagles fan, uh, upset that the Patriots beat his favorite team in the 2005 Super Bowl. And when he found out that there was this Spygate operation that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady were running for the Patriots, he wanted to get to the bottom of it. He was angry as a prosecutor, as a former prosecutor, at how quickly the NFL investigation got shut down. Remember, Roger Goodell penalized the Patriots and Belichick uh, with fines and also took away the team's number one uh, first round draft pick. Um, but Spectre was like, well, wait a minute, you guys also destroyed the evidence. And Spectre felt there was a cover up and that there was never a determination by the NFL how many games the Patriots won through this cheating operation. So it completely spooked Roger Goodell, who had just gotten his job, by the way. Goodell became commissioner in 2006. He dealt with the Spygate scandal in 2007. It was his really first big scandal he had to deal with as commissioner. Robert Kraft, as the Patriots owner, was a guy who helped Goodell get his job. So both Goodell and Kraft were worried about what Spygate was going to do to the NFL's bottom line. The investigation got shut down very quickly. Spectre wanted answers, tried to conduct this one-man investigation in the Senate. Uh, he did interview Goodell, but nobody from the Patriots uh, ever were uh, questioned by Spectre, and he just felt it was a cover-up. And so this completely uh, worried Robert Kraft. It worried Goodell. And so our reporting shows that Donald Trump thrust himself in the middle of this, possibly as a way to ingratiate himself with Robert Kraft, who he was friends with, by the way. And as we know, Donald Trump also wanted to be an NFL owner and offered what some people believe was a bribe to Senator Specter uh, for this to all go away, maybe as a way to try to score points with his buddy Robert Kraft. Didn't Robert Kraft give Donald Trump a Super Bowl ring? No, it's actually actually Kraft uh, had a, had one of his Super Bowl rings taken by Putin. Um, and, oh, that's uh, right. It's just in, yeah, it was yeah, it wasn't Trump. It was Putin. So there was a lot of commentary when our story dropped this week, guys, about that. People were drawing, <laughs> you know, uh, connecting dots on that. Well, okay, well, this is a really bizarre thing. Then maybe that puts uh, that incident in a in a new light. Um, but, you know, our story goes into a lot of depth about the friendship that Trump had with Specter. They were friends. Uh, Trump was a uh, supporter, campaign supporter with campaign contributions of Specter dating all the way back to the 80s. Uh, in 2008, just as Specter was thinking of launching his Spygate investigation, Specter had dinner with Trump and his wife at Mar-a-Lago, actually on the Sunday of the AFC and NFC Championship Games in 2008. In March of 2008, while Specter's conducting his investigation of Spygate very publicly and you know, spooking the NFL, 
Um, Spectre had a book party in Philadelphia and the co-host was Donald Trump. So we, we lay all this out in a lot of detail in the story. And, and I think it's a pretty intriguing uh, chapter in NFL history that was never known that Trump played a behind the scenes role in this investigation that really uh, bothered both the NFL and Robert Kraft. Well, look, Arlen, Arlen clearly thought that there was a cover-up. So now the question becomes, unfortunately, Arlen's gone. You're writing this story. Did, did, the, did you get any pushback from the NFL, Robert Kraft, or Trump about this story? No pushback from the NFL, interestingly. Um, we did seek comment from both Donald Trump uh, and Robert Kraft. Trump, Trump's spokesman, Jason Miller, uh, told me uh, this is completely false and we don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, for his part, Robert Kraft said through a Patriot spokesman um, that he, Kraft, never asked Trump to act on his behalf. So we have denials from both Trump um, and Kraft. But we went with the story because Shane Inspector, as I said earlier, the son of Arlen Specter, heard it directly from his father in real time. His father said, yeah, this offer that I was made that I wrote about in my book, although I didn't identify Trump in my book, uh, was made by Donald Trump on behalf of Robert Kraft. It was campaign contributions uh, that uh, would be given to make this investigation go away. And we had that on the record as well as a ghostwriter Specter named Charles Robbins, who was also on the record saying that, uh, and he heard it directly from Specter, by the way, that uh, that the person was Donald Trump. And then in 2010, what I found interesting is after all of this happens, after Specter tries to investigate, Specter calls Kraft for a donation, and Kraft's still pissed off, so he decides that he wants to meet with Specter, and they meet. Can you talk about that part? Yeah, that yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. You know, that's one of the things I found so fascinating about this. So so think about this. So Robert Kraft is furious at Arlen Specter. Specter gets this offer for his investigation to go away, he says there's no way I'm taking this money, and yet two years later he has the chutzpah to call Kraft and ask for a campaign contribution. I don't know what Spectre was thinking. Maybe he's thinking, okay, maybe Kraft will be in the mood to write me a check because I shut down the Spygate investigation without taking money from this other offer from Trump. And, and yeah, Kraft agrees to this meeting. They meet in a Boston hotel suite in May of 2010. And basically it's a chance for Kraft to just vent to Arlen Specter of how unfair Specter was with this investigation and all the horrible things he said about the Patriots and the cheating and the cover-up and everything else. And yet Specter still asks uh, Kraft for money and Kraft doesn't give him a dollar. It's just, uh, it's just, it's kind of the way Washington works, I guess, right? I mean, you get an offer in 2008 that you don't accept, and then you look to try to get money from somebody who you were investigating two years later. You got to love Washington, D.C. Um, so, we wanted to ask you another question that came up on the news yesterday. Uh, as, as somebody who's been a reporter for a long time, part of being the, the best part, to me, the best part of being a reporter is the interaction with the athletes and, and the owners and people like that. You saw the comments that Naomi, Naomi Osaka made yesterday, and I, we were curious to get your perspective of, of what you thought about that. Well, first of all, the fact that Naomi Osaka has said uh, she does not want to participate in press conferences at the French Open because for mental health reasons, certainly you got to respect that. Right. You got to right. um, you get, get you know, it, it's, it's hard to come down too hard 
on her for not wanting to participate. But but having said that, uh, it's also, you know, there's rules for players in all sports uh, to participate in these press conferences for a reason. It's the fans who pay the salaries uh, in large part. It's also TV money, obviously, but the fans uh, and uh, are, are, are really responsible for the popularity of all these sports. You know, I'm old school and feel as if um, every athlete should participate. I mean, it's, they certainly have the right to say no or not answer certain questions. But, um, you know, look, access has been a bigger and bigger problem for sports journalists like me, uh, the Players' Tribune now, and there's many other ways where athletes can tell their stories directly to fans through their own documentaries. LeBron James has his own production company, and a lot of other people do this too, and they cut us out. The one opportunity we have is during these press conferences after a game to really get the perspective, and we're there on behalf of the fans. So I'm old school and feel as if if there's a way that she could do it, even in a limited way, um, that's the way it should be. Well, and even the press conferences are different in the age of COVID, where some of them are on Zoom and the reporters don't get that time after practice close with the athletes because of everything. So it does make it more challenging for you as a reporter to do your job. Uh, Don, we always, always love the time and we definitely enjoy the content you're putting out. Thanks for taking us back to a little bit of Spygate and uh, giving us a few minutes to go over it. You have a wonderful holiday weekend. Thank you guys. Really appreciate the kind words. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Jeff, I, I just... I read it and you know me, like I've, I've worked in politics. I've worked in communications. Mm -hmm. I love sports. So this was like a trifecta of, and I sent it to you and you're like, Oh, I already reached out to Don. <laughs> I, <was> like, yes! <laughs> I know. I know how you think. So this is a crazy story and, and people look at it. Okay. This is not about Donald Trump, the president. So yeah. this is not like looking through the lens of that. I'm really not at all. I'm no, this is, this is, this point. isn't, this isn't necessarily about politics. It's, it's, it's more about Spygate and somebody who was investigating it. I mean, let's face it. Everybody who, who knew Arlen or knew about Arlen knew what a big Eagles fan he was. Yeah. So, you listen to him on the, the radio, call in as a guest all the time. On right. So, so, so when Spygate happened and he wanted to do the investigation, there was nobody around here or nobody that in Washington, even that didn't say, we know why he's doing this. He, he is, there's no other way to put it pissed off because he kind of felt back to the, when the Eagles lost the Super Bowl that might, there might've been an unfair competitive advantage. Right. And, and that's why I wanted to ask Don about the uh, why would Donald Trump get involved? Why would the NFL do that? I don't think people realize just how afraid the NFL was of the power that Arlen Specter had. He was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. The NFL has their antitrust exemption. There were lots of concerns by the NFL and about what investigations could and would find and what that might lead to going forward. I thought Don made a really interesting point about it being Goodell's first crisis in his first year. And what? Ar Arlen wasn't uh, a stranger to conspiracy theaters <laughs> and investigations, that. right? <laughs> there is that too. And look, I, People are going to question it. They're going to say, why did it take so long to come out? Everybody can ask those questions. I was just really curious by the article and the convergence of everything. Really glad that Don gave us a few minutes. It, it took, to it took so long to come out because it wasn't, it, it wasn't, nobody was looking for it. Like you like, that's what amazes me. 
Well, they, see, that's what uh, <laughs> investigative reporters, like people don't realize how much work they do and how much time goes into one story. So he's sitting there doing whatever else he's doing. And one day he says, this has just been sticking in my head for years. I'm going to go to Pittsburgh and searches through the archives, Jeff. Right. Yeah. And I, I've been to those. Archives. You were a student. Could I you was a student at Pittsburgh. So, by the way, so was Keith. Keith, would, we see if we had him on in reverse Pittsburgh order, Pittsburgh Keith would have been excited that somebody brought up Pitt. So, yeah. you, you could text <laughs> him afterward since I don't have his phone number yet. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, why don't we leave it there? You, you, by the way, he just texted me and said, please, I'm going to have to change my phone number if you give it out. I'm really not surprised by that at all. I know it's true. <laughs> Keith just comes on the air and says he wants me on the show. And then you guys text back and forth about it. You think I just go on vacation. <laughs> Let's go to a break. When we come back, we've got plenty more sports to talk about. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825. Repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, those interviews were awesome. Now I need you to up your game. I really need you to bring some for the second half of the show. You ready? Second half of the show? We only we don't have a half a show. Come on. So, got- I, so I so I think I can get muster up a little bit more energy for 20 minutes or so. <laughs> if you're not careful, I'll bring up Vinny Velasquez. So. No, don't. I told you we're not using his name specifically for one reason to annoy someone. So all right. So let's talk golf rivalries because this is a blast. Uh Bryson DeChambeau and Bryce Kepka. Uh, tweet uh Bryce Kepka, I think DeChambeau tweeted this week, it's nice living rent-free in your head. Jeff, tell me how fun this rivalry is and how well, it converged well, this week with Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Deflategate. Well, keep keep in mind that that a while back we had Michael Collins on, America's caddy. And he he talked about back then that there was this budding rivalry between them. They really don't like each other. And it seems to have come to it. And part of the reason is, besides the fact that Kepka is just a curmudgeon for, for a younger golfer, um, he can't stand, and a lot of golfers can't stand DeChambeau for a lot of reasons, but mainly on the golf course, he takes forever to hit a golf ball. It takes longer him to hit a golf ball or Giannis to take a foul shot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but the thing is, the end result of DeChambeau hitting the golf ball is usually good. The end result of Giannis shooting a foul shot is he misses, so, which how, is pretty much our hope if, if the Sixers play the Bucks. But how this good budding, is this rivalry for golf, though? It is. You know, I remember when we discussed this first made-for-TV event, and I hated the idea. And then, I, and then the next one was great. And I think part of the reason it was great was, one, Phil doesn't shut up. Two, Peyton Manning is hilarious. And, and then having people call in, and Kepka was one of them, if you remember. They were calling in and making donations if the players could do certain things. And Kepka said, if you can make a, a bird, I think it was a birdie, or I think it was a birdie, or a par, I'll give $100,000 or whatever the, the amount was. And, and then Brady finally made a shot, made a, in a hole, I think he made a birdie. And, and Peyton Manning said something to the effect of, you think he's going to pay you because it wasn't it wasn't what you said it was 
So <laughs> like, like there was, it was constantly stuff going on. What really would have been great is to mic up and you can't do it in a major to mic up Mickelson and Kepka together because Kepka doesn't want to talk to anybody and Mickelson doesn't want to stop talking. So, <laughs> so now you've, you've made this new pairing where Kepka and DeChambeau really don't like each other. And what did they do? They brought Deflategate into the Twitter war. They did. Where, I was, I was highly like, entertained. They went there. They did like you just, there. you didn't think they were going to do it and they went there. They did absolutely go there. Jeff, let's any other golf thoughts from being out there, the experience this week that you had at the PGA before I move off of it. You were out there with your son. Tell me again what that experience is like. Another one of those life experiences with your son out there in sports. Yeah, I mean, we've been lucky enough to go to a, a number of majors. This was our third PGA, and the other ones were Beth Page and, and oh, and Baltusrol. So some great golf courses. But what we've never done is take the time to start on the first tee and walk all the way to the 18th green and just walk the whole thing. We picked the longest course in the history of the PGA on a hot day, but it was worth it. We had a blast together and it was just fun to watch. The players were fun to watch. The fans were fun to watch. I mean, golf is a great, people always sit there and say, oh my God, you go and watch golf. It is a lot of fun to just kind of be out there and, and I've said this to you before, go play one round of golf and then go. If you've never watched, if you've never tried golf, it is a waste to go. But don't, go, you just play, want to look and see. don't go play at the course you went to unless you bring your own golf balls, right, Jeff? Yeah, because they were charging like $10 a golf ball. That would, so, that, yeah, that would and, and, and for me, that's a lot of money because I lose a lot of golf balls. Like to me, the most successful round I've ever had was when I played the whole round with one golf ball. And I still have that golf ball. <laughs> just really glad you didn't charge that all to the show account. Yeah. But, 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 you know, for the record, I'll just say I got a birdie on one hole <laughs> at Kiowa. <laughs> so it doesn't well, matter that I didn't I keep around, score after that. I go around telling people that I tried out for a G League team. It doesn't matter that I basically stayed on the court for three and a half seconds. I tried out. That's all that matters. You tell I've done spin wow, for 20 I totally years gave now. you an out for that and I never realized it. Absolutely. See, now you've Good come around. job. You know, you are, you should be a lawyer. Uh, I thought about it. And then actually I was working with you at your law firm. And, and I told you not help, to. <laughs> I could help lawyers talk better than I could practice law. So I sit on the communication side of things. And now I do a radio show with a lawyer. Oh, I was lost yeah. without you. So I had to find something else to do with you. Jeff, I'm not going to bring up Vinny, but I want to talk a little baseball. You, uh, just, you can't say I'm not going to, and then you bring him up. It's, well, we're going to get to him eventually. Uh, but the NL after the show. <laughs> East is, is brutal. There's one team, the Mets, over 500. Only two yeah. teams, the Braves and the Marlins, have a positive run differential. How bad is this division that the Phillies, who are like minus 29 on defense, they are, the only, they are one of two teams. The Cubs are the only other team underneath at a negative in the, that ranking. It's just brutal how did we get here how do in in the age of all of these advanced metrics where defense is supposed to matter how is it that year after year the phillies have such a bad defensive team when they have the best catcher in the game i'm gonna ask you is it the players or is it the coaches because some of it seems mental it doesn't seem physical well, not that they wait, can't how could that be the coach's fault are they being taught the right way at this point, or are they supposed to know at this point? Nah, like, you're you supposed should to know at this point when to cut off a ball, yet Alec Bohm has a problem with that. You should know that when you dive into the outfield and the ball falls, 
unless you run after it, it will sit there for a little bit. Like these are not- It won't hop into your glove? But honestly, it's not just the Phillies. You look at the Cubs yesterday with the Javi Baez play. That look, you texted me right away and you go- The greatest, worst play in the history of sports because what I texted to you as a a father who's about to experience T-ball in a year or two was get ready because you're going to see this all the time. I, I have to tell you, you know, I coached a travel baseball team for a while. I texted that play to every one of the coaches and, and they said, every one of them said that brought a smile and a laugh to their face. For our, our listeners who did not catch what happened, Javi Baez should have been out. All he got in a rundown on a ground ball on as a he was running out. to first base it was a force out all they had to do was touch base they didn't even have to touch him and yet they ran down the line all of a sudden runner scores from third base and then he's at first then the ball gets thrown away then he's at second it was like bad news bears style kind of play it was crazy jeff maybe the best part of it wasn't even the fact that he got that he convinced the first baseman to come off the bag and get him into a rundown between first and home but he was there to like applaud the fact that the guy scored from second base and then after he applauded he turned and ran to first base and there was nobody there to cover the bag <laughs> it was it was special uh, and just so you know that's the kind of home run you see in T-ball so a T-ball home run, just so you know, is throw it to first and they miss it and then throw it to second and they miss it, throw it to third. And then the kid finally gets it and you go home run. I'm, I'm ready to watch that. Brandon and I have been out back. He's got his baseball bat now and mm-hmm. his Philly's bat and I'm throwing and he's hitting it. So the, pro- the problem is he like actually makes good contact and he doesn't stand far enough away. So then he like mm-hmm. knocks it right back through the box, like at my face and he goes, duck daddy. It's like too oh, late, man. So, so we did this in the pregame show. I, I forgot to mention this part. So in the life of Jeff Cohen autobiography that I did when I was 10. Yes. It, it turns out on my first at bat, I hit a home run. Did I you? don't even remember it. Is that the only home run you ever hit? No, I actually was pretty good. What happened then? Can you what, tell me? What, what happened? Look Shot, at me. You, you saw me try out for basketball. What are you kidding? A lot of injuries with the Phillies. Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto have only appeared together in the lineup in just seven to 25 games this month. And I know you don't always like when I bring up fantasy baseball, but I have Bryce Harper on my fantasy always? team. Yeah. I sat him on the bench a week ago because I could see something was wrong with his shoulder. And Joe Girardi kept lying and running him out there. Oh, I, thought, out there I thought you wanted me to be sympathetic to you. I, I no, not at all. Now, I, like, like, I don't mind a manager lying to me. Okay, whatever. But everybody mm. who watched him knew something was wrong to the point where he couldn't play or swing a bat and they put him in the game because they didn't have enough bench players. And not, not only did they put him in a game, not only did they put him in a game, but they put him in right field and he basically had to roll the ball back to second base if you saw him throw the ball. And then when he came to bat, what did he do? He bunted. Yeah, and, and they're going to try and tell me that he's healthy. So now their new thing is... Joe Girardi says he's going to change and not disclose injuries anymore to the media. So obviously the media flipped out because how can you not disclose injuries to us? And he says, it's a competitive disadvantage for me to disclose injuries. Where are you on the, Oh, I thought there, I thought he was going to go with, it's a HIPAA violation. (laughs) He said it's a competitive disadvantage for him to disclose that Bryce Harper won't play in advance. So what's the rule in, in, in the MLB doesn't have a rule similar to the NFL. 
frankly, I thought with all the gambling, you have yeah. to say who is injured on your team. And that's been one of the things with the Phillies. They've been hesitant to pe- put people on the injured list. A lot of times you see them put them on the injured list and they backdate it mm-hmm. because they try to hold them off for a long time. I mean, Harper's on the 10 day aisle rail Muto hopefully will return this weekend. Didi mm-hmm. Gregorius is still out. Jojo Romero had Tommy John surgery this week. Archie Bradley returned. So he's at least back. But and look, injuries are no excuse for bad defense. They're no excuse for the bullpen blues. And Jeff, what I don't understand is this roster the construction. Bullpen you blues. Have, that should be, that would be a good song. You have 14 arms in the bullpen and almost none of them can get the job done. And none of them can get the job done consistently. consistently. And having all these arms in the bullpen that you can't use anyway at certain times means you don't have players on the bench and you end up without enough position players in a game. Have you, have you in the last two weeks heard the name Coonrod and then said, Oh, okay. We're going to get out of this inning or Kinsler and said, Oh, we're going to get out of this. Or do you do what I do, which is say, all right, I'm turning it off the television right now. So the funny thing is <laughs> uh, the Phillies have gone to the bullpen so much that yeah. Brandon, my four-year-old, doesn't understand why all the teams don't go to the bullpen all the time. So we watch games, and it'll be like the first inning, and he'll be like, Daddy, when are they going to the bullpen? They're like, that's yeah, only the Phillies, little man. Well, you can't <laughs> see. This is bad parenting. So it, you, do you want what, you, making him watch the Phillies? Is that no, no, it? no, actually. So so do you want your son to be a Phillies fan? I do. I want okay, him to So, so what you can't do is let him know that there are teams that play better. <laughs> See, so you don't want him to watch another game where where you actually see people who can make plays and bullpens who can get them out, or he'll get, you. You're going to get him all stressed out at an early age. Well, he is my son, so that will so, be appropriate. So, well, you know what? So I I got to say this. This is the perfect time to say this. So when the Phillies were in their glory years, that that you know, less than a decade period with Rollins and Utley and stuff was around two that started in 2007. We had the world series, 2008. Well, I was at the world series game five when they won. And I turned to my, my six-year-old son and I said, you better remember this moment because it ain't happening again. And then at the next, the next year, when they played the Yankees in the world series, the little smart Alec turned to me and said, dad, you said this would never happen. It happens all the time. So and really, now he looks back at me and he goes, I remember you saying that. It's, it's really funny you say that because Brandon won't remember this, but he was born the day before the Falcons played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, the year before the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So it's my first night as a dad. I'm sitting with him, holding him in the chair. My wife's in bed sleeping. We're watching the Super Bowl. And I go, I'm explaining to him, I'm going, this is the Super Bowl. The Eagles don't really play in it very much. Like just kind of get used to that. Then the next year, it's his first birthday on Super Bowl Sunday. And so I'm watching the game and he just calls, comes over with his Eagles gear. And it's like, nah, don't get used to this, man. Don't, this does not happen. Oh, see, I, I thought this story was going to end much better. And you were going to say he was talking and gave you a hard time about it. No, but my mother-in-law <laughs> saw a different side of me because uh, the, my son. Yeah, yeah you bed. yell and throw things. Well, I didn't. My wife told me that if our son woke up, it was on me. So I was like jumping up and down, but covering my mouth. Do you, do you not have a phone brick? Uh, no. No, I don't have anything that I can throw. It wouldn't work out well. I don't want to be totally negative on the Phillies. We've got five minutes left. Zach Wheeler is dominant right now. Mm-hmm. In 68 innings this season, he's got a 2.31 ERA. He's more than 70% of his 401 pitches over the last 29 innings have been strikes. 
In his first 137 games in baseball, he had eight double-digit strikeout games. In just the last 10, he's had three. Can we just give it up for how dominant he has been? And do you remember at the beginning of last season, there were all the rumors about whether they were going to trade Zach Wheeler? Can you imagine yeah. what? Can you imagine what this this starting rotation would look like without him? Look, it, I mean, he's he's in, the ace now. He's in company with Roy Halladay. His ERA, he's the first pitcher with. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on. Let's 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 slow your roll I'm, there. He, I'm just talking about. I have had a a good couple. He's you can't I'm, put them in the same sentence. I'm talking stats. Elias Sports has a tweet out. Zach Wheeler is the first Philly starting pitcher with an ERA below 2.50. Uh, he has 2.38 and a whip below 1.94 mm-hmm. in his first 10 starts of a season since Roy Halladay back in 2011. Okay, it's so one... I didn't say he's Roy Halladay. Oh, okay. He's in All conversations right. with performances that Roy Halladay has had, and that is something that for a, a, a situation where rarely do players live up to the contract that they receive, mm-hmm. he's pitching up to his contract of, and he is the ace of the staff with Nola being inconsistent. All right. Now what I'm going to do is yes. I'm going to tell you, you are not allowed to talk about the Phillies for one more second. Okay. Cause I know where you're going next. So stop. Pick I'm a not. different subject. No, you We're pick done. the topic. I'm not going to bring him up. We have three <laughs> minutes. What do you want to end with? Do you want to talk hockey playoffs? Do you want to talk NFL? What do you want to, Oh, I do want to talk NFL for a second. Uh, you see, you said it was my choice. Yeah, I, I changed my mind. Did you you see the story about the NFL hiring with Eugene Chung? He's not the right minority while he was interviewing. Yeah. When, when, when do you think Don's going to do that story? Cause I want to know exactly which team this is. Cause that, cause if, 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 if he is to believe if this story is accurate, whoever said that is not only disgusting, but but they're also incredibly stupid. I, I was surprised that you, I mean, look, I, I don't believe you should think those things to begin with, mm-hmm. but having done public relations and communication, he's like, not the right minority. Generally, if I mean, you come on things out loud, they don't go over very well. So look, you shouldn't think it, but the NFL has a larger minority hiring pro- pro- problem than just African-American coaches. They have a diversity problem in their league. They do. And and it needs to be looked at when they talk about minority hiring, people go to the number of African American coaches on a staff. It there needs to be a larger pool of diversity. You actually saw this week with the Eagles, they have like one of the highest ranking women in their executive now in their organization. And you're starting to see more women in that. So it's not just the diversity of minorities is diversity of genders in sports yeah but they have to do a better job they keep coming up with what they think is going to be a solution but it doesn't work the solution i mean even when they come up with those those solutions we've been on the air and so many other people have sat there and said that's not going to work they've got to find something else that's going to work because this isn't working i meant to ask you uh you gonna go out to the raiders games this year the Raiders games. Why yeah, do I go they, to the Raiders games? I hate got the Raiders. A nightclub DJ and bottle service section for fans, Jeff. I know that that's where you're going to go. Uh, are they? Are they? Are they going to make it rain too? Like, uh, like. Apparently, it will span the entire length of the north end zone and bring Las Vegas' oh, vibrant if, if, nightlife if, scene to a unique environment. If Jeff. this wasn't a family show, uh, <laughs> there are so many things I could say right now. Now, none of them would be flattering about the Raiders, but I, I have never liked the Raiders, and it's never going to get any different. 45 seconds left. We had Bottle Coach, service. Coach Curtin on last week. Uh, Union beat DC United on the road, one nothing. Andre Blake continues to be dominant. They play the Portland, Portland Timbers this weekend. You going to be watching, Jeff? 
course I'm going to be watching. Increased capacity at all these stadiums. Union will have increased capacity. The Phillies will be Makes at me nervous. The Sixers will be at 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see more about that going forward. Jeff, we've got about 15 seconds left. Any thoughts for Memorial Weekend? I know you had service in your family. I did mine briefly. I'll, I'll start it uh, with my, my little thing about happiness for those people but the for service uh, you know it's it's so important to recognize the people that serve this country last word thank you so much for joining this week make sure to join us next friday night to help you start your weekend in style have a great one and we'll talk to you next week bye-bye